You're listening to Get Fed Today, one podcast designed to provide the Christian a hearty Bible study five days a week. While our mission is to showcase a variety of different Bible teachers, if you want to access more content from a particular pastor, simply listen to the end of the episode for additional information. On behalf of the entire team at Get Fed Today, it is our prayer that today's episode encourages your growth in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Samuel chapter 15. We'll pick things up in verse 13. Now a messenger came to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are with Absalom. And so David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee or we shall not escape from Absalom. Make haste to depart lest he overtake us suddenly and bring disaster upon us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said to the king, We are your servants, ready to do whatever my lord the king commands. And then the king went out with all of his household after him, but the king left ten women, concubines, to keep the house. And the king went out with all of the people after him and stopped at the outskirts. And then all his servants passed before him, all of the Cherethites, all of the Pelethites, all of the Gittites, 600 men who had followed him from Gath passed before the king. And then the king said to Atei, the Gittite, Why are you also going with us? Return and remain with the king, that is Absalom, for you are a foreigner and also an exile from your own place. In fact, you came only yesterday. Why should I make you wander up and down with us today since I go I know not where? Return and take your brethren back. Mercy and truth be with you. But Atei answered the king and said, As the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant shall, will be. And so David said to Atei, Go and cross over. And then Atei the Gittite and all of his men and all the little ones who were with him crossed over. And all the country wept with a loud voice. And all the people crossed over. The king himself also crossed over the brook Kidron. And all the people crossed over toward the way of the wilderness. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for every bit of this book, your book, the Bible. We thank you for every revelation of you, of your heart, every revelation and and that you want to have built into our lives that is found here. Uh, we crave to have it built into our lives. We pray that you would take the truths that are found in this passage and that you would supernaturally lift them out of these verses and plant them inside the fleshly tablets of our heart into the place where we commune with you and where we have our relationship with you. We ask you for that work of your Holy Spirit tonight. We pray that you would freshly fill us with your Holy Spirit to now receive uh, your word. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. At the time of these events as they're recorded here in uh, chapter 15, King David is probably somewhere between the age of 55 and 60 years old. 
He is an older man by ancient standards. He's at a time in life when a man typically of his position and of his accomplishments is quietly and very comfortably reaping the rewards of uh, a well-spent life, a lifetime of hard work and sacrifice. But when we come to David's life at this particular point in his life, it's anything but quiet and anything but comfortable. Instead, David finds himself in the middle of one of the greatest crises that he will experience in his life, one of the most heartbreaking chapters in his life. His present circumstances are a mess, and they're even more than a mess because he is in the middle of a crisis that threatens his very life. When I look at this particular chapter in David's life, I, and I try and think about what is one word that would encapsulate this particular season, the word that comes to mind for me is the word betrayal. David has been betrayed by his son Absalom. He's been betrayed by a trusted friend named Ahithophel. These two men have joined together now with a desire not only to achieve David's overthrow as the king of Israel, but they've united together conspiring uh, to end his life. And I think very, very thanklessly, very, very shamefully, the nation of Israel as a whole, as lar in large part, has now joined together with them in their rebellion against David. And David is now forced to flee his uh, beloved Jerusalem, uh, the city that was conquered by him, the city that was largely built by him. And in fleeing Jerusalem, he is forced to flee his home. Think about it in your own mind and, and, and put yourself in that place. He's forced to flee his own home and, of course, his beloved tabernacle and containing the Ark of the Covenant that he had so joyfully transported their years earlier. And in one hour, David has gone from being the most powerful man, not only in his nation, but the most powerful man in that entire part of the world to, for a moment at time, of losing everything. David is, in this passage, an absolute refugee. His wealth is completely gone, his home, his power, his position, everything gone. And in an instant, David is transported back 30 years in time in terms of his life, back to the days when he fled King Saul day after day and night after night, when all he could do and all he could offer to those who followed him was hardship and hunger and thirst and life and death danger in terms of their life, but with it, a chance to be on the right side of things in a very crazy time in Israel's history. And David is now vulnerable in a way that he has never been vulnerable before in his life. In that earlier season of his life, when he fled from Saul, he still had the strength of his youth. He still had the ability to outrun anyone. He still had the out ability to outfight anyone who would come against him. 
But now at this time in his life, he doesn't have those resources. In youth, all you have to do is just think something. And when you think it, your body snaps to attention and it just seems to effortlessly uh, accomplish what it is that you're thinking. And you think that it's always going to be like that. I don't want to burst your bubble. I want you to enjoy that season in your life. But it isn't always going to be like that. And David is long past that season in his life. He no longer possesses even remotely the fullness of those assets. But in the midst of this very crushing betrayal by so many, uh, this dark cloud really does have a silver lining. Because it is in this season in David's life that he is, his friends then began to rally around him. And of course, these kind of seasons in David's life or any of our lives as well, they're never easy. But sometimes I wonder if perhaps they aren't necessary in order for uh, things to be revealed to us as to who our true friends are. And I think every once in a while... If we don't believe that it's necessary, then sometimes the Lord can believe that it's necessary. But it's necessary for the ranks of our friends to be tested a little bit, uh, for those ranks to be thinned out a little bit, especially when you're like David, the more prominent a person is or the more powerful a person is. When you are a nobody in the eyes of the world, when you don't have anything to offer anyone but your poor, humble self, you know who your friends are. They are your friends. There's nothing complicated about friendship in that kind of a season in life. But later when, like David, you attain to success or you gain reputation and stature and power and wealth and popularity, it gets a lot more complicated and more difficult to discover uh, who your true friends are. Who would stay with you through thick and thin for who you are? And they're not merely opportunists that just see you as a means to their end. And life can get very complicated in this way in the fallenness of, of this world. But as crushingly hard as this season was for David, it was a blessing in that he would once again come to know who his true friends were. Who genuinely liked him, who genuinely loved him, who genuinely respected him, who genuinely understood what God was doing through him and through his life. For all of his flaws, for all of his sins, for all of his spots, and for all of his wrinkles. In our Bible passage here, David's true friends committed themselves to him when everything was going wrong. When bad news was coming into David literally by the minute concerning the situation that he was in, when it just seemed as if the news couldn't be any worse than what he had already heard, worse news came to him. Everything looked completely lost. And here is David. He had nothing to offer 
uh, anyone, no money, no power, no hope, no hope of victory. His whole life is collapsing, not before, just before his own eyes, but everybody could witness it as well that was around him. And to follow him at that moment looked as if it would mean a person's sure death before the night was over. It was risk to risk everything because surely after his enemies had caught David and had killed him, their next target would immediately be anyone who showed any kind of loyal friendship uh, to David. And so in a physical sense, to stick with David at this moment meant literally you had everything to lose and you had absolutely nothing to gain. And then uh, amazingly in the passage that's before us, Despite all of that, many people did stand with David. In fact, wonder of wonders, as you read the passage, a line formed in order to do so. Zadok and Abiathar uh, were priests, and all of the Levites, they stood with David. And here you have these deeply spiritual men who knew of David, they respected David, they knew of David's love for the Lord and his heart for God, and they knew what others didn't know, the, what his relationship God meant to the spiritual welfare of the nation. Hushai joined that line, David's close friend and advisor, who had seen all that the fickle crowd had not seen and never does see, what David had kind of quietly and anonymously done for the good of the nation. And then 600 men formed themselves up in that line, men who had been with David from the early uh, years, the men who had been with him from the very beginning when he was a nobody and he was a nothing in everyone's eyes but God. And then amazingly, Atei, he joins in that line. And he's just come to Jerusalem the day before with his family. And it isn't unlikely that it was political instability of this very kind that had driven him from his own nation. And David, hearing about uh, the difficulty of his situation, offered him the stability of Jerusalem, a refuge in Jerusalem, and he had come to take David up on that offer. And here uh, he comes and he joins the line. And Atei, wonderful man in the Bible here, he remembered the good thing that David had done for him. And, he, and it seems as if he said to himself, I can't live with myself if I do anything less than stand strong with this man now in his time of need. I want you to notice very, very significantly on a little deeper level related to this uh, passage, these precious words that of verse 15 and verse 21 that were spoken to David by his friends when he was at rock bottom in this uh, difficult time in his life. Notice once again in verse 15. And the king's servants said to the king, We are your servants ready to do whatever my Lord, the king, commands. They said this in this very context that I've described to you. 
Atei's uh, declaration to David is in verse 21. And Atei answered the king and said, As the Lord lives, and as my lord the king lives, surely in whatever place my lord the king shall be, whether in death or life, even there also your servant will be. In other words, they communicated to David at this time in his life, David, we are fully committed to you, whatever the cost might be. If it means our life, if it means our death, you have a great many things that are before you right now, difficult things to deal with in this situation, but we don't want you to give our loyalty to you a second thought. You simply lead, and when you look over your shoulder, you will find us following you. Now, you can imagine, if you put yourself in David's shoes, what those words must have meant to David in that moment. I mean, the immense encouragement that that must have been to him in this scene of a great rejection and betrayal. But notice, too, and here we take it a step deeper. Very important to understand this. It's important to notice that here is friendship and loyalty expressed at a strategic time when David was vulnerable and when he was needy. It had been decades since David had needed any of his friends more than they had needed him. And this need in David's life would never occur, not one more time in his life. This was a strategic moment, a very narrow window of time in which to express friendship and loyalty to David. It was an opportunity that would never occur again, and they did it. They stepped up, and they did it. David here, he's lost everything materially speaking. And he's lost it in an hour. But the passage doesn't call on us to pity him in this circumstance that he's in. He remains a very, very rich man. Because no man is a poor man who has 600 plus who will stand by his side at a time like this. And no man or woman is who has two or three that will stand by our side in a season such as this season. People who will not believe the lies in these kind of circumstances, who will not expect a perfection from man that can only be expected of God. Now, interestingly, as the Psalms that David, that would come out of this season in David's life, would reveal, Psalm 3, 4, 61, 62, 63, 143, David, in the midst of all of this, was also conscious of another friend who stood by his side through this season of betrayal, someone who refused to leave him or forsake him. And, of course, that friend was the Lord himself. For instance, David wrote in Psalm 3 of this friend, he said, Lord, how they have increased to trouble me. Many are those who rise up against me. Many are they who say of me, there is no help for him in God. But you, O Lord, 
are a shield for me, my glory and the one who lifts my head. I cried to the Lord with my voice, and he heard me from his holy hill. And of course, the Bible teaches that David's friend is also our faithful friend as well, an ever-present friend. Jesus taught wonderfully in John chapter 15. He said, Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. He's describing us. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. When Jesus gave his great commission, he closed that giving of the commission to the disciples with the promise and to us as well. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And here I think we have the second great blessing that comes out of these kind of seasons in life. Because it's at times like this that we come to recognize and appreciate Jesus' commitment and his loyalty to us like never before. When sometimes others are long gone. When sometimes everyone is long gone. And he remains at our side never to leave us and never to forsake us. And it's humbling when he does that, and we appreciate it, and it always causes us to love him even more for being the loyal friend that he is. The Apostle Paul declared of this friend in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he said, At my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood with me, and strengthened me, so that the message might be preached fully through me, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, and the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, as Christians... We are also wonderfully conscious of what Jesus' friendship and loyalty means to us. But most often, I think we are far less aware of what our friendship and loyalty means to him. Especially in the light of this world's treatment of him. In the light of this world's rejection of him. As king, in light of the world's rebellion against him as king. Many of you are probably aware that Jesus' three year public ministry evenly divides into uh, three very distinct uh, one year tones to his ministry. The first year of his public ministry is encapsulated and referred to as the year of obscurity. In the second year of his public ministry, it is known as the year of popularity. And it was during that year, related to the disciples, where it cost them nothing to remain faithful to him. It was kind of like David's friend in the early years of his reign. 
And then the third year of Jesus' public ministry, known as the year of opposition. And it was during that year of opposition that Jesus declared to the disciples, Luke chapter 22, verse 27, I'll read it to you. He said, for who is greater, he who sits at the table or he who serves? Is it not he who sits at the table? Yet I am among you as one who serves. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials, and I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one upon me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Again, verse 28. But you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And the loyalty and the friendship of the disciples meant a lot to Jesus as they stood with him during that third year of his public ministry, the year of opposition. It is humbling to me to realize, number one, that he notices this kind of thing, and number two, that he appreciates it. And I look, as I look at the world around me and around you, in my estimation, that third year of opposition toward Jesus has now become 2,000 years of opposition And what David in 2 Samuel experienced for a week or two, all of the pain, all of the rebellion, all of the repaying of of evil for the good, that's now been Jesus' portion for 2,000 years. And we live in a world that is hostile toward Jesus. It is openly hostile toward him. It's in rebellion to him, to his life, to his teaching. And it's everywhere. The culture that we live in is anti-Christ. The, the entertainment, the television, the movies, the books, the magazines, in government, in academia, even in religion, even in what is professes to be Christianity so often. It is the world that we live in. And it seems as if no one misses the chance to take a swipe at him. And in this season of man's history on planet Earth, Jesus' current portion is one of immense and open hostility directed toward him. And his enemies grow stronger by the day, and they grow bolder by the day. And as a result, by the year, it's becoming more and more risky for Christians to identify with him worldwide and more and more dangerous to make a stand with him as his friend. But it is precisely this that makes our decision to do so all the more precious to him. Again, I want you to notice that this window of opportunity for David's friends to rise up and show themselves faithful to David, it would be a comparatively short one. 
because David's enemies would soon be defeated. He, his kingdom would soon be fully restored to him once again. And never again in David's life would he need this kind of support from his friends. The opportunity to show it was a very short one, and it was a very strategic one. And in the same way, this present season that we have to show our friendship and loyalty to Jesus in the midst of the opposition to him in this world today is a short one. It is a strategic opportunity that will one day pass. Because one day, man's rebellion against Jesus is going to be brought to a complete end. And one day, this heaven and this earth is going to give way to a new heaven and a new earth. And one day, when we stand in the midst of that heavenly scene, when we stand on that glassy sea, it will never again be a costly thing or an extraordinary thing to live a life of loyalty to him. In that day, when we stand in the midst of that heavenly glory, there will only be popularity for our king. It will only be praise and worship and adoration. And never again will it be a costly or an extraordinary thing to be a loyal friend to him. But today... It is. And because it is, our loyalty to him now is all the more precious to him. Praise the Lord for the privilege that is ours today to bless his heart in this season of his rejection in this world and through our loyal friendship. And I think how wonderful it is to realize that as much as the loyalty of David's friends meant to him, so too our loyalty today means much to Jesus as well. And it does something good in my heart to realize that. I cannot give him gold. I cannot give him diamonds. I cannot give him silver. But I can be a faithful friend to him. Again, as Jesus declared in Luke 22, verse 28, but you are those who have continued with me in my trials. And how wonderful it is to be numbered among that you and to be numbered among his loyal friends. We sing the old hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And it is wonderfully and supremely true. But I think it is also wonderful to realize what our friendship means to him. And that he notices it. And that it blesses him. And it's humbling, I think, to realize it. Jesus is worthy of loyal friends. And what a privilege it is, by the grace of God, to be such a friend. Let me close in prayer. Jesus, we thank you from this place tonight that you would call us friends and that you would make a way for us to enjoy that level of intimacy 
and closeness with you. And how thankful we are for the work of your Holy Spirit within our lives to be your friend in the midst of the world that we live in. And to do so, Lord, when it can cost us almost everything to do so. And we acknowledge tonight as we sit here that the opportunity that is ours in this life will one day be completely gone. And that one day we will stand with you in the glory of that heavenly scene. And there will be no rejection. And there will be no rebellion against you. It will be all praise and worship and adoration. And never again, Lord, will we have, in the same way we do today, the opportunity to express our love and to express our loyalty and our friendship to you as you give to us in this lifetime. We pray for your grace to be upon us, Lord, as we continue our pilgrimage in this world, making our way to heaven, and you would continue to grace us with the strength, with the power to do and the will to do, to remain your faithful friend all of the days of our life. We bless you for the immeasurable and priceless friend that you are to us tonight. And we do so in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Get Fed Today. Today's sermon comes from Pastor Damian Kyle. If you enjoy the message, you can access more of Pastor Damian's teaching ministry by visiting ccmodesto.com.